Deuce Vaughn. Wyatt and I were just admiring um, the Dallas Cowboys work against the New England Patriots yesterday. As, uh, man, not a good day for the Patriots yesterday. Can't, or, uh, Dallas's defense. A couple of defensive touchdowns. It was a good day. And by the way, let me just point out, when Deuce Vaughn plays, the Cowboys are 3-0. and When Deuce Vaughn does not play, 0-1 and you lose to the Cardinals. Cardinals. Uh, yeah. That's yep. why you play Deuce Vaughn. It's I'm with you. Very obvious. Yeah. The number, I mean, the numbers say. I mean, it's plenty of evidence. Very prejudiced, but, uh, but I, I, I like what you're saying. He, he's really been fun to follow. Uh, I wish he was getting more opportunities, but the fact that he's made the team and is a part of this and he's getting a little taste of it, all good. You know, if I'm being ex- just perfectly honest about Deuce Vaughn's play yesterday, he kind of missed on a couple of pass blocks. And I'm like, Deuce, that's not what you do. You light somebody up. Actually, I think he just just barely missed it. Like if he was a little bit quicker, it was he picks it up easily. But you know, just a tad bit late. He'll be all right. He'll be all right. They just need to put him in a meaningful snaps with the 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 first team offensive line. That you know, he would tear anybody up. Dallas isn't exactly, I would say, deep at offensive line. They got a good starting lineup, but they're not deep. Right. Well, there will be opportunities. It's a long, long, long season. It is hard to explain how well they played yesterday following the game in Arizona the other day. That was awful. Oh my they God. were bad. I mean, in the red zone, it was awful. Yeah. I, I, and I you're pulled, the Cowboy fan, not yeah. me. I'm just saying. And I, and I pulled my hair out like that for a Cowboys game in a long time. And I've had many opportunities pull some hair out because it's been a wild ride to say the least not a lot of winning in the playoffs that's where a lot of hair oh my god I just kind of refresh my own memory losing to Brock Purdy oh my god I could that was one of my worst nightmares Wyatt look look this up I thought I saw this morning on on the stats at the bottom on the crawl that he was 20 of 21 yesterday is that true I don't know, but I mean, Dallas is getting ready to play them um, this week. But I can look it I mean, up real quick. To be honest, he's he's played terrific football for them. You are correct. He did go twenty of twenty-one yesterday. Yeah, I thought I saw that. Oh, it's God. like that's stunning. If this happens again, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's thrown for over a thousand yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. He has the best QBR in the NFL. Yes, Brock Purdy. Yes. And you know what? He'd be the first to probably say he plays with a really, really, really good team. Well, it, it, but beat Pittsburgh, beat the Rams, beat the Giants, and beat the Cardinals. I mean, other than the Cardinals having that absolute fluke of a win against the Cowboys, they haven't played anybody. Okay, I'm just telling you. Let, let's have this discussion five more games in. See where where we're at. The guy's a winner. Yeah. He he is a winner in a with a winning team and organization. Period. End of story. Well, he's a winner now. I mean, you know, at Iowa State. I mean, that, that you know, getting to the Big Twelve Championship game in uh, in the COVID year, and then kind of falling flat on their face in twenty twenty one, and and then he's mystery relevant, and now he's the starting quarterback for the 
San Francisco 49ers. Who would have thought that? And I mean, come on. I mean, wow. also, I mean if you want to talk history, I mean, the Cowboys and 49ers kind of go back a long ways, mm-hmm. you know. So for just as a Cowboys fan, there's a lot of reasons you don't want to lose to the San Francisco 49ers. But now the biggest one for me is Brock Purdy's the quarterback. That's the one thing I missed yesterday because I, I try really hard to, like on Sunday, I'll go in and do a lot of K-State football stuff and get it out of the way so I can enjoy the NFL during the afternoon and evening for the most part. Um, couldn't do that uh, yesterday because of my travels and schedule and what have you. But I love watching the NFL games uh, and in large part because of all the K-State guys. Yeah, I find myself searching for – now, last night I, I did see D.J. Reed a little bit. Um, <laughs> D.J. had a funny play, and we can talk yeah, about it here in a second. Yeah, but but it's it's so cool to see those guys at, at that next level after, you know, dealing with them here. That was so fun. There, D.J. Reed's kind of getting a hard time on social media today because there was a play yesterday against the Chiefs. And I, I, I can't tell you exactly at what point in the game it was, but – Mahomes is scrambling, and I think he threw an incomplete pass, but he's scrambling over towards the far sideline, about to step out of bounds, or he's getting close to the boundary. Well, here comes DJ Reed at 100 miles per hour. I mean, it looks like he could easily just light up Mahomes if he wanted to. He just ran right by him. Oh, really? Like, I think he maybe touched him a little bit, but he just flew right by him. It was actually, it's really funny. It the wasn't down by the goal line right at the end of the game, was it? No, I don't know. Okay. It was, it had to be either, it had to be the third quarter if it was the second half. Okay. Because the, the Chiefs were going right. You know, they're going towards the, I'm trying to think, it's, that would have been the south end zone. South end zone. So they're going from left to right. Um, and there goes DJ Reed, just boo, right by him. <laughs> Could have had a big old play. Kind of whiff there. Uh, but just for those, so everybody knows, make sure to tune in Sunday Night Football this Sunday, Cowboys at the 49ers. So uh, Dallas looking for that victory against Brock Purdy. Uh, meanwhile, we got a Friday nighter mm-hmm. coming up with the Cats visiting Oklahoma State. I will not be there uh, because Manhattan High will be hosting Junction City, Battle for the Silver Trophy Ooh. at the same time. I, I was telling um, Brandon Peoples, who was calling the game with me last Friday against Emporia, which Manhattan got the victory 51-7, that I, I'm, I'm expecting everybody who's going to be sitting in front of me in the stands with their cell phones out watching the Cats at the same time. Probably. Uh, it's a rare occurrence that K-State plays on a Friday. I think the last time was North Dakota State in 13. I think um, John Grove seems like a historian for Cats football, so and he gave me the thumbs up, so I'm going to go with him. Okay. So uh, I, I, I I don't think not, I did not remember that honestly. Yeah, it was uh, it's like a big debut for FS1 or whatever, and okay, yeah, and I believe that was I'm a Friday take, night. I'm going to take his word for it. He is correct, by the way. Okay. That, that was a Friday. It was August 30th, 2013. They played North Dakota State and lost 21-24. Don't remind me. That was the debut of the West Stadium Center, and uh, mm-hmm. they, if you had season tickets, you had a big old ticket to commemorate. The evening, and uh, yeah, North Dakota State marched down the field. Um, if I had 2013 North Dakota State with Chris Kleiman as defensive coordinator versus today's Oklahoma State club, I'm probably going Bison. <laughs> and we'll, we'll preview the Oklahoma State Cowboys here in just a moment, but you know, the notes came out today. We got the depth chart. We're hoping to see some familiar faces back or making their debut this season on the depth chart, and we do. I think it's important we start with the offensive line, Wyatt. So Christian Duffy 
is now in the starting lineup, but you also reminded me during the break, a name we hadn't seen there yet is actually, as a backup at left tackle, a true freshman in John Pastore, who is now in the depth chart for the first time. Well, he's actually a redshirt freshman. A redshirt, yeah, I'm sorry. But but you're right, a very talented young guy, terrific frame, 6'6", nearly 300 pounds. They list him at 294. Unfortunately, he had um, uh, an injury situation early in camp and just it, it took some time for him to come back. But uh, he had a really good spring. I think the coaches were uh, very excited about him. Connor Riley thinks he's going to be a really, really good player and what have you. So it'll be nice to have him back because if you think about with, with him being out when the season started, with Duff being out when the season started, you know, all of a sudden those top 80-ish kind of guys weren't exactly a full eight, if I'm being honest, and now they're getting a little bit closer to that. That's good. Yeah, we saw the difference, I thought, um, when Duffy played against UCF. Sure. I, it just felt more at home. Guys were more comfortable. Well, that experience matters. We talk about oh, that. Yeah. And, and the perfect example is listen to the coaches talk about as an example, Carver Willis in the first couple of games as opposed to the next two or three games. He's been better. And that helps a lot because now you have a guy with starting experience there with him and Duffy. And then over on the other side, you can you can bring along Pastore a little bit, you know, now that he's available. And, and who knows how much time he will get because KT is really good over there. But uh, you know, there'll be some times. Hopefully, he can get into some games. It, it'd be it'd be great if he can do that. Also, offensively, Treshawn Ward mm-hmm. is going to be back in the lineup. It's just as if it was the beginning of the season where DJ Giddens is your starter. Uh, well, you have the or there. DJ and Treshawn Ward is the or. You know, DJ was so impressive. It brings up the question: How do you divvy up the carries now? How do you divvy up the uh, you know the targets? You know, passing plays. Who's going to be in? How does that change after DJ Giddens runs for over 200 yards and scores four times? And also has eight catches for over 80 yards. I mean, he had a magnificent game against UCF. I, I'm not sure I have the right answer on how how it will be. Will Will we see DJ a little more? I have a sense that we will, but but let's be honest, they they really like Treshawn too and I think he's going to get his opportunities if he is indeed healthy and I, I think he should be ready to go this week so it's a it's a good thing to have those guys but I, I said it last week on the show the fact that DJ you know had that kind of game and knows he's capable of that just being a workhorse too is a big deal I mean that's a lot of carries in a college game man you get to, to 30, 30 carries and, and 8 catches that's that's a boatload. Well, and I'm sure Coach is going to get to ask the question on Tuesday, how does that change? <laughs> but he's, I mean, it'll, it'll give us an answer like he has in other press conferences. You know, it could be a hot hand. It just kind of de- sure. depends on the game and what's going on. It's all but about I think, matchups, too. Yeah, but I think DJ earned so much respect with the way he performed because he carried the ball 30 times. I mean, that's old school. That's an old school number of carries for one running back. Usually, you're splitting it up a little bit more. You're not putting all that punishment on a on a running back. And he said after the game that he was a little bit, you know, he's a little bit sore. But that's a tough kid. Mm-hmm. Didn't really take a whole lot of big hits. He was doing a great job of breaking tackles. Just guy bouncing off of him. Seems like a guy that could take a lot of 
punishment. You just don't want it to add up, obviously. But I, I think he earned, you know, until Treshawn Ward does have his own giant game, that you're not going to see 50-50 anymore. Uh, it was 50-50 heading in to UCF before Treshawn got hurt. Now I think you gravitate towards more Trace or more towards DJ to do a little bit more work and carry the football. I'm anxious to see, and I know we're going to talk about Oklahoma State and preview them in a little bit. But um, from the running back perspective, you know they'll they'll have regardless of who is in the game or both at the same time or whatever it might be. Those Cowboy linebackers, Colin Oliver, Nicholas Martin, and Xavier Benson have been around a while, and they're pretty good players. <laughs> so uh, strap it on. Here we go. Yeah, Colin Oliver, uh, All-Big 12 second team last year. Preseason mm-hmm. All-Big 12 this year. I voted for him. Yeah, he's a good Great player. player. Yep. Um, let's see. Then we go to – let me make sure I didn't miss anything on the offensive side. I think I got everybody. Defensively, it's about the linebackers uh, when it comes to health. Um, you know, Austin remains still listed as a starter and middle linebacker. I thought maybe Jay Clifton might move into that spot. Uh, but now he's actually right now listed behind Austin Moore at Will Linebacker. But uh, Jake obviously can play all three positions. Well, I think it tells you two things. One, I, I have to say this, it's great to have Jake back because he is such a valuable piece. But um, I think Clifton's most natural position, I, I, we'd probably have to ask to make sure this is accurate, but I think his most natural position is at the Will, but he can play all three. But I think this is also you know, telling us the coaches were pretty happy with the first start in the career of Austin Romaine. He's big, he's strong, um, made a mistake or two probably, but uh, for the most part, as <laughs> passing grade in, in week one for him as a starter. Well, like I said last week to you, as you know, two days after the UCF game, other than the second play of the game where yeah. UCF had a huge run that you know maybe Austin Moore made a mistake on that play, there was nothing really else throughout the game that stood out to me as like, Austin Moore made a mistake. I, I couldn't find anything on the rewatch that told me that he didn't play well. So that, that's yeah. a good, very good sign. Yeah, and, and, and when Coach Kleiman specifically you know, points him out for his rock-solid play, that, that says a lot too. And then, by the way, talk about a right time to get a couple of guys right, as in Keegan Johnson and R.J. Garcia. R.J. barely played against UCF, mm-hmm. leg injury. And then Keegan Johnson, who's been trying to battle back from a preseason injury right before the season started, a week off for those guys is the right timing to try to get that boost in the receiving game, especially with Keegan Johnson. Sure. Yeah, we, we mentioned last hour a little bit that you know Keegan had a really good camp up until he was uh, hurt and, and had to kind of fight his way back. Um, he's 193 pounds. I mean, he, he's a big, strong guy. He's not the tallest necessarily, six-foot-ish. But um, he's got some explosive ability to him and, and really good talent. Knock on wood again. <laughs> Let's hope they can get him to 100% and, and hopefully stay there for a while. They need him. Well, the Friday matchup is down at Boone Pickens Stadium in Stillwater. That's a place Chris Kleiman still hasn't won a game yet. Going to try to knock off the 2-2 two and two Cowboys Friday night at 6.30. When we come back, Wine and I will preview the Cowboys when we come back. You know, I'm surprised by now, Tyler Lockett, who has just shown on Monday Night Football the uh, the NFL countdown, Monday Night Countdown is what it's called, they just showed Tyler Lockett on TV, and I'm surprised he just hasn't gone with the just full-shaven 
bald head like his old man. Because he's bald. He's balding. He's been for a while. Ever since he was at K-State, he's been balding. I'm just surprised he hasn't gone with the clean look because he's got a good shaped head. It'll look good on him. It really would. It, it'd be a perfect look for him. Well, you're more of a fashion statement kind of guy. Than <laughs> I'm not I, even I close. Am, I think, but um, not even close. I I, I sh- saw the tight shot of him there a moment ago. I I think he looks good. I, I like it. I would I be opposed to the bald look for him? Probably not. So I, I mean, I'm a good either way. I'm pretty sure. Kevin has he he does the whole bald head thing, shaves the head or whatever. I think that's true. I think that's right. Because I think the Locket boys they have the hair that kind of goes around the sides or whatever, but bald up top. I tell you what, everybody that goes bald though, everybody's got a great shaped head. I got a great head of hair, terrible shaped head. I look ridiculous, shaped like an orange or what are you saying? I used to go buzz cut, like deep buzz cut, Uh, more like uh, a weird looking lemon. <laughs> oh, Mitch! I, I I went deep buzz cut when I got back from the Stern show and started wa- uh, working here. Um, just a haircut I kind of always went with for a long time, and I started noticing, man, I got a weird shaped head. So you didn't do the long hair like uh, like uh, Stern? No, I can't no. grow my hair like that. I oh, when I was a baby, before I had my first haircut, I remember seeing pictures. My hair was down to my shoulders. I've I've tried to grow long hair, but I got such weird calyx, it doesn't grow right. It looks ridiculous. Like, I am I grow a mullet without getting a mullet haircut. <laughs> that can't be good. But it never, my hair's too thick for that. Thick hair. I mean, well, luckily for me, I'm always going to have a head of hair. But it just, you know, not much I can do with it. It's just going to grow the way it wants to grow. Well, I think you... I think there are a lot of people would rather have your scenario where you can't do a lot with it, but it's a full head of hair, than you know being pretty lightheaded. Would that be right? Fair, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. But you know, some people like bald heads. I don't know. I just can't not pull sure it off. why, but okay, I'll take your word for it. Welcome back to Wildcat Insider, <laughs> Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. Wyatt, uh, now we uh, take this part of the show to look at K State's next opponent. Uh, road trip to Stillwater. By the way, the research team over on the other side figured out that the last um, Friday game for K-State was 2016, and the opener at Stanford. Totally forgot about that game. Easily forgettable because it wasn't a good day. I can tell you a little bit about the game and the trip and all of that, but I did not remember that as a Friday either. I just didn't. All right, so what we've learned— You know what I did remember? No, go ahead. The, the, this, I don't know why I remember this part. But it took us longer to drive from the stadium to the airport than it did to go— from the airport home. Really? Yes. Oh, you're talking about from the airport home. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm saying is once we were in the air, it took less time to fly from oh. California home than it did to go from the stadium to the airport. So you're talking about from Palo Alto. Did you fly out of Oakland or from I don't even San remember. Francisco? I just know it was forever getting out of that traffic. Yeah, if it was Oakland. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, and that's amazing, right? Because not a whole lot of people were probably there. Was it a very... Like, cause Stanford is known for having terrible attendance, even if it's great teams. What I remember full. is, is I don't think their their classes were even in session yet. Oh yeah, probably. And I think probably, I yeah. think it was, you know, what was the date again? Was it August? September second. Forty six thousand one forty seven was in attendance. Well, that's not a terrible crowd by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's but inflated. 
you think? Inflated numbers. Yeah. But if I'm if I memory serves me correctly, I think they didn't even start their their classes until like late September. I think that's right. Yeah. Summer's it was actually one of its bigger crowds, funny enough. Really? It's because all the purple. Well, that could be. There I don't are a know lot of K State was there. It? Yeah. I would hope oh, so. Or I thought I that's what I remember anyway. I went to a Stanford game, I was with soccer, and we had a game the next day against San Jose State. Palo Alto and San Jose right next to each other. So I Ubered out there and found a ticket for ten bucks, fifty yard line upper deck, five rows up, perfect seat. Couldn't have been better. Uh but I put I could have sat wherever I wanted. And uh San Diego State was the opener, and it was barely half full hmm. for a home opener and a really good Stanford team in 20, I want to say 17 or something like that, okay. maybe 18, 19. I don't remember the year. Well, they were pretty good in those days. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma State's not too good right now. They're, they're kind of struggling. Well, I think they do have a few things that they're trying to iron out. I would start with the quarterback scenario. Remember when they last played – not this past weekend, but the weekend before when they lost in Ames, they kind of had settled on Alan Bowman being the quarterback and just as opposed to the first couple of two or three games where they played three guys. What will we get Friday night? I don't know that we know. I know Coach Gundy's asked, been asked about it, but as you might suspect, he really wasn't going to give anything no. away. No. And I don't blame him. But if, if I'm being honest, I, I think we'll see more of, of Bowman than the other two, which is Garrett Rangel and and obviously Gunner Gundy. Shaky hands Gunner. <laughs> you saw that, did you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't do you think that was just nerves or was that just one of the things was it what he was something he was doing? Or? I think well I think that was his one of his first appearances okay. in a game. Yeah. I did see the video but I didn't really care enough to try to figure it out of like when it was or any of that, but wanted to make dad proud. Well, I think he was a pretty highly recruited player, was he not? I'm not sure. Yeah, not sure. But anyway, I think Bowman is a guy that that can throw the ball. Um, they do, you know. They let's be honest. They had a lot of attrition in the. They had a lot of guys get into the transfer portal, both sides of the ball, and they're just different than they've been. Last year, they had a Dickens of a time with their offensive line staying healthy. I think they're a little bit better there now, although they still aren't necessarily running the ball like they normally do. They have Ollie Gordon and Jaden Nixon back in that backfield um, from from a year ago, and then a a Michigan State transfer, um, Elijah Collins. I think you would say that they still want to run the football a little bit better and be more consistent offensively. It's it's been it's been a challenge for them. Yeah, I don't think their offensive line has been very good um, because Oklahoma State. If you look at Ollie Gordon running the football, he's he's I mean he's over six yards a carry, mm-hmm. but he had a seventy-one yard run against Iowa State, and then his second longest run I believe was thirty-one yards. Actually, I think that's just for the rushing attack alone for for the Cowboys. You know, if you take those two runs away, they're only averaging maybe three and a half yards a carry. Yeah, which in this day and age, that's not enough. Um, you know, even with all of the, you know, attrition they had and, and receivers that left, I, I think their top three guys in, in Presley, Bray, and Dejan Stribling, the, the kid uh, from Washington State, the transfer from Washington State, are solid enough. It'll be interesting. This will be a big challenge because, 
you, you mentioned Coach Kleiman will be looking for his first win there. It is a hard place to play. Um, so a challenging game, certainly. Yeah, quarterback is by committee, it seems like, other than the Iowa State game. Running back is by committee uh, with, a lot, like I said, Elijah Collins and Jaden Nixon. Let me, let me just recap real quick of what I said. I want to correct myself. It wasn't rushing. It was just Ollie Gordon. His run of 71 yards and 31 yards. Take those two runs away, which he's running over six yards a carry. Taken away, he's under three and a half yards per carry. Wow. Just taking away those two runs. But he has shown he can bust out a big run once in a while. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of surprising he doesn't run it a little bit more. Uh, I am shocked that Brennan Presley is under 100 yards receiving through four games. Total. That, that to me, is wild because he should be well over that. I mean, I, I think he had over 600 yards receiving last year, and he was voted to be all Big 12 type of player. So it makes me wonder, and I haven't watched a ton of Oklahoma State this year, but what's been the protection for the quarterbacks? Is the offensive line because I know the to me the offensive line has been very suspect in the running game, pass protection they've give, given up some sacks, but are the are the quarterbacks comfortable in the pocket? I just don't think they are doing the best job of protecting quarterbacks and keeping them comfortable. Well, that, and it's affecting the passing game. Yeah, as a team, they're averaging 121 rushing yards a game and they're passing for 221. That's a little below of what they normally are in, in both areas, okay? Um, you, you talked about Presley. He's averaging 24.5 yards a game in receiving, 15 catches in four games. It's not a terrible number for catches, but 98 yards. That's 6.5 yards per catch. Mm -hmm. That's just not what, what they normally do. Bray is at 11.9, which is okay, not not spectacular, but okay. But Stribling is at 14.1. So, and ironically, Jaden Nixon has 10 catches out of the backfield, and he's averaging 11.3 per catch. So yeah. it's, their numbers are a little a little bit odd, honestly. Nixon, uh, him and Nixon and Ollie, like Ollie, a running back, might be their best athletes. Yeah, could might be, be. Yeah. might be. Yeah. Um, defensive side of the football, what I've noticed is their big issue other than just not having great numbers, it's a little bit better than their offensive side. But they have an issue with missed tackles. Um, and I saw in advanced analytics, I was looking this up earlier today, and Oklahoma State is the worst Power 5 program this season in missed tackles. 20% of the time they're missing the tackle. That's by far the worst in, uh, in Power 5 college football. So, you know, it makes me wonder if they don't have the missed tackle issues they could eliminate some of those, how good the defense could be, because they have some strong pieces, like you mentioned earlier. Colin Oliver is a great example, who was a defensive end and then jumped up to linebacker like Khalid Duke did last year. It's an interesting season for them to this point, and I guess I'll say it to say this. When they only beat Central Arkansas 27-13, to I think that was a little tiny bit of a red flag. Fair? Yeah. They go to Arizona State and win their 27-15, and because Arizona State is Arizona State, even though they're not very good, Probably. people said, okay, okay. But when they got lathered at home by South Alabama 33-7, everybody went, whoa, what's going on in Stillwater? True? Yeah, and South Alabama to me, and I was looking at the numbers because they're in the Sun Belt. Mm -hmm. they're the Sun actually, Belt's better than people think. I mean, this year they're probably right around the talent of Troy. Yes. I think they might be just about equals this year. Well, and we, you saw Troy. Yeah. 
That, that, that could be a problem. It's a yes. Yeah. That's that's a legitimate point. And and again, that's what college football is. That Coach Kleiman says this all the time, and and so does almost every other coach. That there's, you know, different different levels, and yet not really. You know, there it's it's more balanced than you might think. Truly, the Sun Belt's pretty good. Troy last year won twelve games. It's hard to win 12 games against the schedule they play. Well, and if if South Alabama was a touchdown or two better last season against Troy, they're going to the Sun Belt Championship, not Troy. No doubt. It was that close. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it again, we don't want to make them out to be the Alabama. It, it is still South Alabama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for them to go in there and win 33-7, that was a stunner to the Big 12. I mean, that might have been yeah. Gundy's worst loss. I, I mean, maybe what is considered like, OK, I'm sure Oklahoma State fans going in. I don't know how much they respected South Alabama, maybe just looking at the name and thinking they should take care of business. It's not a name you familiar is familiar to you as a group of five team. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and they're in the Sun Belt, like you said. Um, yeah. I mean, when you get throttled like that and you don't even score until the second half, you maybe have an outside chance of a comeback, but not really even close. I mean, it was owned by South Alabama in that game. And then you thought, okay, this may be an ugly game. These are two teams that are really down right now, but we got to go win one in Ames. They were close enough to win the game. Three or four plays go different, and you might have had a different outcome. You might have had, you probably do have a different outcome. You probably have Oklahoma State winning by 7 or 10 points. I mean, really, you can make a comparison to Oklahoma State like K-State. Issues in that game, they gave up big plays, and they had some miscommunications with its secondary, and they gave up huge plays. One thing that sticks out to me, and I guess it's just because I've been around a while and I've seen a lot of Gundy teams, the fact that this team is averaging just 22 points a game through their first four kind of stands out. Normally, they're a lot better than that. Um, and maybe maybe it's just as simple as they're not as gifted right now as they've been. That's, I think, what it is. Yeah. I mean, it, you, know, you just kind of assume that, right, because yeah. of being down, and we know what Oklahoma State has been in the past. I mean, Mike Gundy's in his 19th year. How many losing seasons has he had? One. One. His first year. Yeah. And he's been to 17 consecutive bowl games. Yeah, this team wins. This program has winning seasons. Yeah, but this is the fourth time in the Gundy era that Oklahoma State has started two and two. The other times you have 2007, 2012, and 2016. Well, all three of those times, Gundy has rallied the troops, and they've at the least finished with seven wins and got to a bowl game. I mean, they kind of, in a way, salvaged the year a little bit, got to a bowl game, and made something positive out of it. Really, your best example is actually in 2016, the the last time they started 2-2 two and two because they ended up going to the Alamo Bowl and playing Colorado and beat them. And they won 10 games. The big difference, though, is you don't have a James Washington. You don't have a Mason Rudolph. Go back to the previous years. You don't have a Des Bryant. You don't have a Joseph Randall. They don't have that kind of big play capability type of player to go out there and steal you some wins. That's a big difference. Well, 
<laughs> if you've named those names again, um, I'm just telling you, that would match a lot of teams in our conference yeah. of guys that have gone to, to next-level competition and have been really, really good, high top of the top of the chart Big 12 players. Fair? Yeah. I mean, they've had some dudes. There's no doubt about that. And, I mean, I, I think about, uh, I mean, Chuba Hubbard's playing in the league, right? Malcolm Rodriguez. <laughs> I mean, you just keep keep going there. All the way back to even even the mid, well, like say 2011, 12. I mean, they've always had guys. I just don't know if they have the same level right at the moment. Not that they don't have some good players because they do, but I I don't know that they're as impactful with some of those names like like what you're saying right now. Well, and you know, when we wrap up later on, uh, just shortly after we wrap up the show, do you know Robert Allen, who's yeah, the sideline reporter? Very much so. I'm going to speak with him. We're going to record an interview for Power K Game Day. I'm I'm very interested to know because they've been in this situation before. That you know, what is the confidence right now? Are Oklahoma State fans still feeling okay about the current state of Oklahoma State football? Because again, I mean, they've been in this spot before and they've rallied. Hasn't happened very often, but they've rallied. But there's a big difference this year. And I'll bring up again. One, they just don't have the star power like they previously had. You know, they built some names with these rallies, like a Des Bryant. But also, we've heard that Mike Gundy isn't exactly a fan of NIL. And I think that's hurt him a little bit, especially with this latest class, guys they lost in the transfer portal. I mean, where you're telling donors right before the 2023 season that you see NIL is a bad thing, you're probably not going to recruit a whole lot of guys this day and age. You're going to lose a lot of the battles for some good talent. And so how long does that carry on? So I'm very much looking forward to that Power Keg Game Day interview because i got to get the feel of what is it right now in Stillwater. Are you feeling like Gundy can do it for a fourth time and rally the troops and go get another bowl game after starting 2-2? Two and two? Just right now it doesn't look like they have the talent to compete with K-State, but it is a Friday game. It's a blackout, sold-out, boom-picking stadium. Sure. It's going to be a weird game. And it's also a location climate hasn't won in yet. Yeah, a lot of things on the table there yeah. from what you said. And, and again, traditionally it's been a hard place for K-State. They've won there, but it's, it's been difficult. They've taken some really good teams down there and won some really hard games um, and lost some really hard games. I, I remember in '03 when K-State was league champions, now – Albeit, L was a little dinged up for that one. Yeah, he was. Um, K State lost a hard-fought, high-scoring game there. You know, so those kind of things stick with you. Oh, I remember. So my big takeaway from talking about taking a really good team down there and losing a close one, mm-hmm. the 2011 game, when Colin Klein oh, sure. has emerged as a pretty solid K State quarterback, and you're facing Brian Whedon and. Um, was it, was college game day there? I can't remember. I think I think Brent Musburger was calling the game with Kurt Herbstreit, but I mean that came down to the final play of the game, and K State's what third and goal from the eight yard line, and just the throw wasn't there, and Colin has to just kind of over he just overthrew it, and that in the game. But I mean that was a shootout. That K State had multiple chances to go win the game. I mean, there's been some classics down there. There really have some hard sure. fought. Close games. Daniel Sam's lost a close game down there in 2013. It's just it's a 
historically, it's been a tough place for K-State to go win a game. Yeah, I remember going down there when K-State was so dinged up at quarterback, they played Cody Cook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy. You, you thought Will and, Howard... And he be- did okay. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, you know. You thought Skylar Thompson getting banged up and uh, yes. Will Howard struggling to go win some games was a tough spot. I do remember Cody Cook coming in and oh yeah was was Joe Hubner starting that game and he got hurt was right. what mm-hmm. Cody Cook wide receiver but right. also played quarterback back in the day yeah took over the reins and uh, he almost won the game oh for sure remember that first drive he got a touchdown mm-hmm. I was like okay we we might have something here you know what he's doing now uh, is he coaching at Tennessee Tennessee okay uh-huh. I didn't know it was Tennessee yeah okay done, done well for himself nice job Cody Cook yeah did not know that. Good young guy. What, is he coaching receivers? Yes. Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. He was at Hutch Community College, and uh, I think I think went um, maybe as an analyst at first, and then moved up to the full time staff. I think he's doing pretty good. Pretty I'm not going to lie. I, my first guess would have been UTEP because it seems like the whole staff is former <laughs> K State players for Dimmel. Oh yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Uh, what do you say? We take a break. We'll take our last one of the show, and when we come back, Week Six in the Big Twelve, we'll preview next. You're listening to Wildcat Insider. Back on Wildcat Insider. All right, Wyatt, let's uh, let's uh, run down a few games here in the Big 12 for week number six. Red River rivalry is going to be played. Dallas, Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma, and Texas. You know, the first time these two meet as undefeated teams since 2008. How about that? It's been a minute. Texas favored by six and a half. You know, I, you know I, I don't – I'm not shocked Texas is the favorite. Honestly, don't care who wins. There's actually one other game I'm more intrigued by this weekend. Um, but enjoy their leaving the Big 12 convention, I guess. That's all I really got to say. Yeah. I really do think it'll be a good football game. Are you picking Texas or Oklahoma? You know, these games can be really weird. I'm going to go uh, – Oklahoma will be winning at halftime. Texas wins in the second half. Okay. Because you remember what happened last year, right? I mean, Texas smoked oh, them right. last year. Yeah. yeah. Shut them out, right? No, nobody saw that coming. Or, or I didn't. Maybe I better say it that way. I think Texas wins. Um, I do think Oklahoma is better than they were a year ago. For sure. Especially the, defensively. The question is how much. And I think this will kind of be a lead into how much, don't you? Yeah, I think we'll find out more about Oklahoma Saturday than we might against the, with Texas. I, I could be wrong, but I think we're going to see maybe a little bit more of a test for what is Oklahoma really? Well, just because that Dylan Gabriel's been good, his numbers are off the charts. Um, defensively, as you said, I think they are much more physical, tackling better, not giving up you know the shock plays that they did really in big bunches last year. So they, they've made some improvements. Also kind of makes you, like, with Texas, like, do you think anybody can actually beat them? This might be that shot. And, sure. You know, maybe you need Texas to lose for a chance to get into a Big 12 championship game. I don't know. M- m- most likely not. I mean, Texas, I think, would simply get in if they just lose one game. Um, depends also if Oklahoma, you know. One of them's going to lose, and I think that's the important thing. But the key is, is this is one where you would think that Texas would be ready to go. They usually have one yeah. where they're probably not or sleepwalking a little bit. I think they'll be pretty, pretty excited for that one. 
Uh, Texas Tech and Baylor both need a victory here. That's at 7 o'clock on Saturday. But the game I'm really interested to see how this unfolds is KU hosting UCF because uh, John Rice Plumley most likely going to be back for UCF, and uh, Jalen Daniels is not practicing yet for Kansas. So it might be Jason Bean's show again. Well, you know what? I really think it'll be a pretty competitive ball game either way, but I'm very anxious to see how UCF responds after blowing that game against Baylor Saturday oh, when God. they're up 35-7. That can be a crippling thing in a, in a season for a team that is in a new league and all of the things going on, playing with a number two quarterback. But I hadn't heard that John Rice was going to be back for sure, but that's a big deal if he is. I knew big there was deal. a chance he could maybe play against Baylor, but he was there. Uh, but it, Timmy McLean got the start, so I, you know, that just kind of—I don't know if it's for sure yet, but I think there's a, a chance that he, John Rice Plumley does return. And I'll be honest, I like the Tech at Baylor matchup. I, I, I'm anxious to see how that goes. You know, Baylor was cooked Saturday, came back, found a way to win. And what can Tech do on the road? We know they're pretty good in Lubbock. Let's see what they do here. By the way, speaking of teams that also need wins, TCU and Iowa State, that could be maybe uglier than – it might be the game that we thought Oklahoma State-Iowa State was going to be. Sure. TCU and Iowa State, man. We'll see how that goes. That'll be a 7 o'clock kickoff. FS2. That's gross. Wyatt, thanks again for coming in. Good to talk to you once again. You bet your partner. Enjoy All right. it. All right, that's going to do it for Wildcat Insider. We'll be back for full two hours tomorrow with the game. For AJ, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson, I'm Mitch Fortner. Go Cats.